So how many of you have ever felt like an outsider? Every hand can shoot up, right? Uh, Maybe it's a school you wanted to attend. Maybe it's an organization you wanted to join. Maybe it's a neighborhood you really wanted to live in. Maybe it's a job you really wanted. Maybe it's a small group you wish to be a part of. Maybe it's a church you love, but you always felt on the outs, outside the circle. Maybe some of you, I know, some of you are even outsiders within your own family. Okay, you know what that's like. Think back even to the proverbial schoolyard, the playground, right? What's it feel like to be the last one picked for a game or to not even be included in the game at all? Notice how many of these situations are relational. They're so profoundly relational. It's like we're asking these deep, very interrelated questions of where's my place in the world? Where do I fit in? Who are my peeps? Right? Sometimes, also, we're made an outsider because of an intentional exclusion, human cruelty. That happens. We know that. Sometimes it's a little more haphazard, maybe thoughtless. Other times, uh, we play a role (laughs) in being and remaining an outsider. For some folks, that's an identity. It's complicated. We're complicated in that way. But regardless, I would say to be othered in this way is painful, hurts. And as you saw from the hands that shot up, everybody experiences this to some degree and in some measure in their life and probably uh, more times than one. So the vast, oops, so much for my music for later. (laughs) Uh, The vast majority of our scriptures were actually written by outsiders. Ever think about that? The underdogs, they were the authors. The oppressed, they were the authors. Cultural minorities living under the empires in power like Rome or Babylon or Egypt. Being an outsider was a really lively issue for the nation of Israel. God's people saw themselves as outcasts. They knew the pain of alienation. They knew the pain of exclusion. They knew the pain of exile. And for this reason, the Lord called his people again and again to be gracious to, guess what? Other outsiders, the disenfranchised. That phrase from the Old Testament, the widow, the orphan, the alien. Watch out for those folks. Watch out for the immigrant. Watch out for the foreigner, the sojourner. All these things. The Lord's call was to be kind, to be generous, and to live out a very robust hospitality. Israel, you were once in their shoes, so remember that. Don't forget that. This outsider theme carries over into the New Testament, carries into the Christian faith. To feel other, as I'm using it, to be an outsider is normative for a Christian. So did you know that? It's normative to feel and be on the outside. Let me give some, describe some of that for you. So given the reality of being in the world but not of it, or given the reality of being resident aliens, like that dual citizenship of being, being called to heaven and home there, but living earthbound, right? We're not home until we're at home in the Lord. Or given the fact that the gospel challenges any and every prevailing culture, we're outsiders. There's something about being a Christian that means we will be outside. Some are even to the point that some are even martyred for their faith. Now, there are, of course, non-biblical reasons uh, for how we might be outsiders. I jokingly say, like being a jerk for Jesus, that's not what I mean. That's not what I'm talking about. That's another can of worms. What I'm trying to do is is address... um, 
the biblical ways in which we're outsiders, not some of the things we maybe perhaps bring upon ourselves by our own poor judgment. So the point here I'm trying to make, uh, New Testament believers inherit some of that identity from our Jewish forebears. It carries over into the Christian faith, as does that call to welcome the outsiders and strangers in our midst. Enter Isaiah 56, 1 through 8. That's where we'll be this morning. Now, in order to do Isaiah justice, I really need to give you a little history. And I don't want to oversaturate you, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to contextualize it and, and help things make sense, I think. So let me give you some of the situation and the context in which Isaiah was written. So prior to Isaiah, Israel, Judah, to be specific, if you want to know, they've been conquered by Babylon. Some of you may go, okay, that sounds familiar. Under Nebuchadnezzar, remember him? Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians... They utterly destroyed and decimated Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. First temple wiped away. And the Babylonians had a real specific way that they went about uh, conquering nations. They had a strategy. Once they were conquered, what they would do, they would obviously physically destroy buildings and cultural centers of power like the temple. And, but they never wasted human resources. So here's what they would do. They would take the best and the brightest of that culture they conquered and they would deport them to serve as slaves in other parts of their empire. Daniel, if you think of that book and his story, it's a great example. That's what the book of Daniel is about. It happens in that Babylonian context. So the vast majority of Jews lived in exile. They call it the Babylonian captivity or the Babylonian exile. And they were outsiders. They longed for their home. They longed for their land. They longed for the temple. They learned, they yearned for the worship of the Lord. Very powerful longing, that sense of home. We counter that often in the Psalms and in the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah. So Isaiah directly addressed this exile, that longing in that. He encouraged his fellow countrymen with visions of of a gathering and a return home. And eventually, Israel did return home. It's often called their second exodus. So they return home, and Isaiah probably wrote during this really poignant time of homecoming. So that's sort of the context how we have to hear the scripture today. So they did return home, and they came from all these other nations. They gathered in their homeland, and they started to rebuild their lives, right? They, rebuilt, they began to rebuild the temple, actually, and they began to reestablish their culture. And many of them returned home in waves over a period of decades, even centuries. So it was a process that went on. So in coming home, God's people had to address some difficult questions, like how are we going to rebuild uh, be more specific, sort of what's our civic plan here? What kind of society are we going to establish in rebuilding? This was a very heated matter of debate, actually. Lots of opinions on this. And it was especially heated around, what are we going to do with outsiders? How are we going to handle that as we rebuild our culture? Two basic positions that you find, and these should sound familiar because they're as old as the hills. First one, uh, let's be sectarian and separatists, Okay. Uh, let's define our community very narrowly, sort of along ethnic lines. Um, hey, we're pretty small in number, and frankly, we're kind of vulnerable. So maybe we circle the wagons uh, and focus on survival. So let's strengthen it and take care of our own. So that was one position. That was one, uh, one position that was held. Another one is what does it look like to welcome the foreigner, to welcome the outsider, the sojourner? What about those outside our community? What if we welcome those in instead of circling the wagons? Think about Ruth, okay? She's, from, she's a Moabite. 
Okay, she's from pagan nation. She was also the great grandmother of King David. There's in the line of Jesus. Think about Jonah. Jonah reminds us that God even loves people as hated and despised as the Assyrians in Nineveh. And they were. They were hated and feared. So we've got these two warring kind of factions, if you will. And now I think we're well prepared to enter into Isaiah 56, 1 through 8. It begins with a call and a challenge to Israel, right? It's not a new call. This isn't like new news to them. This is a renewed call to return to the mission previously given them in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah and in other places in the Old Testament. More on that later. And here's the call. It begins with, thus saith the Lord. Okay, That's weighty. That's big. That's saying from God's mouth to your ears, thus saith the Lord, keep justice do righteousness, blessed is the man who does this and who keeps the Sabbath. I've kind of boiled it down in the nutshell, the first two verses there. So the call focuses on two things. I think there are two pieces there. There's the keep justice and do righteousness. That's one piece. Listen to that unusual and rather active wording. Justice, justice and righteousness, they're not these inner realities just to sort of be pondered and thought over. We're to live them out. We're to act upon them. We're to keep. Notice that kind of retain justice. We're to do. We're to enact righteousness. And not just for ourselves and kind of my people, but on behalf of others. So there's that piece. The second piece, you hear this? Sabbath keeping. Interesting. You're to set apart one day for rest, just like God did in the very beginning. Sabbath keeping is God's invitation to his covenant people to enter into his rest. Those who keep it and honor it, those are God's people. And Sabbath keeping is an interesting recurring theme that plays out in the rest of our passage. It'll be mentioned again. So in this call, God gives in the first two verses in recultivating Israel's identity. The Lord calls them to practice justice, righteousness, Sabbath keeping. So those are some of the pillars not to be missed. When we move into verses 3 through 8, the focus shifts uh, quite a bit. And we begin to talk about outsiders, outcasts, uh, and those specifically who have joined the covenant community. So that's what we're talking about when we move into verses 3 through 8. These are proselytes. These are converts to the Jewish faith. And it uses a couple of words to describe them. Foreigners and eunuchs. Now, these are two people groups who were previously excluded from the covenant community. And here's I want you to hear them. They are a symbol and example sort of for all outsiders. Okay? There are obviously other groups that are outside. It's not just eunuchs and foreigners. But it's used as a symbol of those who are outside the, the Israel's community. So here the Lord calls his people to remember and to renew an old call. And I'm going to read you Exodus 12, 48 through 49. So here's the call. Here's the mission. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord... Let all his males be circumcised. That was the symbol of entrance into the Jewish community. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. Okay? Just like uh, a Jew. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Okay? Equally treated. Now, notice that the entrance into that covenant community, which folks are being invited into, it is an open invitation, like for sure. But it's not unconditional. They're called into the same rule of life as Israel, right? One rule for all. To participate in the covenant community, you do things like you 
keep Sabbath, right? Like we talked about, you keep justice, you do righteousness, you serve the Lord, you serve each other, you devote yourself to worship. Give some beautiful pictures of this. To the eunuch, those who can't have children, perhaps have no family, well, now they inherit a family. And they have a home in God's household where they did not have one. To the foreigners, sojourners, it says that God's going to accept their burnt offerings now. Right? He's going to receive their prayers and bring them the joy of being part of a family. So these are all ways the Lord is saying you matter and there is room for you in my family. It's beautiful. The Lord does not define his people by their ethnicity. That's not the common uh, family resemblance, if you will. Being a descendant of Abraham, it doesn't set things right between you and the Lord. Uh, In the same way that growing up in a Christian home doesn't mean that things are right between you and the Lord. Those who belong to God are those who love him, follow him, serve him, regardless of what they look like. There are those who take on the family rule of life. Those are the people of God's family. So it's a beautiful picture here in Isaiah of God just kind of gathering together. I mean, it feels like he's the proverbial mother hen in a sense, calling people home, capital H, and bringing to other people of all nations. It's an amazing picture. And while Israel's mission definitely meant to be a holy community, right, set apart for the right reasons and to be a beacon to uh, the other nations, that's certainly true. They're also meant to be a hospitable community missional community caring for and inviting others in to what God was doing. So because of this, there are no strangers within God's household. That's not how God sees it. They're just no outsiders. Those outliers, the ones that are on the margins, the outsiders and all that, they're invited into the covenant community. Did you hear the end of the passage, verses 7 and 8? For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Some translations say for all nations. The Lord God, who gathers together these outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others besides those already gathered. It's quite a picture. So here's what we cannot miss in this passage. Can't miss this. The Lord is doing far more than bringing home the exiles, isn't he? As amazing as that is, and it is, he's doing more than that. He's also enlarging the family and inviting others into mission. Folks, that is the trajectory of the Old Testament. That is the trajectory of the New Testament in terms of mission. Think of Galatians 3.28. This kind of typifies it. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no no male and no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No outsiders in the household of God. How about that? Now, in closing, just a couple of thoughts, maybe more than a couple. I think this passage, I find it, I found it to be very timely uh, this past week. So I was sorting through, okay, what passage to preach on and Lord, what do you want to speak to? It felt, this just felt very timely to me and not to be too uh, like ham handed with it about with some comparisons, but let me make some comparisons between where our church is at and Isaiah. Okay. We're looking for a place to call home right now, right? We're looking for a place to replant. We're looking for a place to set down roots. We're looking for a place to serve. We're looking for a people in a neighborhood to love. Perhaps our church has been in exile from God's mission too. Perhaps. Also, I think God is reminding us of the identity he wants for us. There's something in him calling us to be 
uh, a certain kind of people, a missional people, a hospitable people who do justice, uh, keep justice, do righteousness, excuse me. And our home, church, is meant to be shared with others, right? William Temple, you'll hear me quote this a lot. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury in World War II. He said the church is the only organization that exists for those who are not yet its members. Right? True. True. So as we find a new home, hopefully in East Charlotte, we will be outsiders and newbies. Did you ever think about that? We're going to be out of our comfort zone. Yeah. Uh, We'll have a lot to learn. We'll have some listening to do, a lot of praying to do. We'll encounter some new faces, hopefully many of color. Boy, I hope for that. And we'll seek to be church together. And we'll seek to labor for the common good of our community together. Will we make space for and will we welcome those who are, quote unquote, foreign to us, different than us? Those who are also close to God's heart. Will we do that? So Martin Luther King said that Sunday mornings were the most segregated hour of the week for most American Christians. I think that's still relevant. I really do. And will we labor to change that? Because I think we have a call on that. So let me close with this. I'm going to read you those last two verses. And that'll be, we'll say amen at the end. For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all peoples, all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others. And besides these already gathered.